the West is complaining about China because they're leading it. It's just a simple case of politics. They're finding a way to criticize China because they see China as a rival. So we are starting doing some research on these BRI successful factors for the past 10 years. The primary reasons are three points. The first one, Chinese government has to stick to the principle of the common prosperity and peaceful cooperation. And we have upholded the principle of mutual respect and real multilateralism. This is basically a project of development for everybody, Sri Lanka and Pakistan most of the time criticized for lending into China's debt trap. And most of the criticism was coming from Indian media and Western media. Debt trap stories are just baseless propagation. Economic stability brings all stabilities and this BRI is set to bring economic stabilities and political stability will automatically come in. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to The Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyin. Joining our discussion on the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative, also known as the BRI, are Makzum Baba, President and Editor-in-Chief of Pakistan Daily Mail, Thomas Paukin II, Beijing-based geopolitical consultant and media commentator on Asia-Pacific issues, and Professor Dayong Hong, Dean of College of International Studies and Institute of Area and International Communication, Shenzhen University. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, from being questioned, slandered to being imitated, the Belt and Road Initiative has fared through a tremendous or spectacular journey since its birth a decade ago. How would you define the initiative and summarize its past 10 years in simple words? Maybe we start with uh, Tom, who's supposed to be a outsider. Sure. Would you define sure. yourself as an outsider or bystander? I've been an outsider everywhere I go, including <laughs> my own country, so I'm accustomed to it. Uh, the Belt and Road Initiative, basically, if you really think about it, is is sort of a massive infrastructure project for the world with China uh, helping to finance it and also provide loans. Now, also something very important to remember is although the BRI is a grand initiative to help with the major infrastructure projects all over the world, mm. this is not charity. This is almost like basically a business deal. So when you're doing the major infrastructure, it's going to make a lot of, it's going to be very expensive. It's going to cost a lot of investments. It's going to take a lot of loans. The countries that are working on it are going to have to find ways to either pay back or make it profitable for the investors. So, of course, the West is complaining about China because they're leading it. But in reality, if you do not develop these type of major infrastructure with bridges, railroads, airports, a lot of these countries will not be able to succeed or develop their countries into more progress. Mm. So obviously what's going on is you're having a battle between the West and China. And I've dealt with politics for a long time. And it's very simple. You have A team, you have B team. If you're on the A team, you don't like the B team. And if you're on B team, you don't like the A team. So no matter what B does, A will always criticize and complain. No matter what B does and they see A, they will always complain about A. Mm. So the simple case is, is the A team as the West is looking at China and just saying, oh, BRI is terrible because it's causing all this debt. 
Well, obviously, it's just a simple case of politics. They're finding a way to criticize China because they see China as a rival. And in simple words, how would you call it? I would just say a major infrastructure. It's building big-time infrastructure all over the world for those participating countries. All right. Then let's turn to Mr. McDoom from a very important participant country, I should say, from this initiative. How would you define this project in simple words? Well, in uh, my opinion, I have been following very closely for 10 years this, uh, but it was first OBOR, One Belt, One Road, and then it became Belt and Road Initiative and different names change. 21st century maritime Silk Road was also one of its. It has uh, six economic corridors and uh, most vibrant so far is uh, China-Pakistan economic corridor, CPAC. What I have been seeing in these years, these 10 years, as Mr. Tom said, infrastructure development on all that with a lot of criticism by the Western media. Mm. This is not, uh, in my opinion, something between China and West. This is something between Asia and West. Uh, President Xi Jinping once said that this century will be the century of Asia. He was referring to the development, infrastructure and economical development coming through BRI. And that took me to think that why my media colleagues from West are so much opposing or criticizing BRI most of the time. Mm. Because they cannot uh, take it easily that it should all the development from Europe or America or West should be focusing on Asia for the future. What they are afraid of? They are afraid of uh, Asian countries, which are mostly comprising the third world countries. They will become the first world countries, and they think they will become the third world countries if this uh, development. But this is baseless. This is basically a project of development for everybody, for every country that like to get uh, repairing from this initiative, not focused. In the beginning, they thought that China is making some sort of block, economical block, and bringing countries. The concept of BRI was not very clear to most of the politicians and most of the media people, even most of the businessmen. But we see the moment they started realizing that this is a real development project, uh, more and more countries have started joining BRI with a very fast uh, pace. And uh, it started with, I think, 42, 44 countries. Mm. But during the last few years, many, <coughs> more than 100, 150, 150 countries have joined it. Mostly, I can see that the swift in joining BRA came after Chinese leadership handled the COVID crisis very effectively and emerged as a real force to mobilize the global economy. Mm. During uh, and after COVID, many countries realized that we should not be afraid of China or be not be jealous of China, but instead we should join. Uh, just a few countries, a couple of countries, maybe three, four, they have not admitted it. But also, I think they think on the same way. So uh, many Western players that were not very friendly towards BRI before COVID, now I can see in last year, many of them, whether it is from Europe or Africa or wherever, they have shown their complete confidence in it. And because of the economic policies and tactics and the way China helped uh, the BRI members and the way BRI members got benefited from being member of BRI after COVID or during COVID, that has encouraged 
many people and that have made them realize that this is not a political or economical mm. uh, block for them. Right, so you would call it a project of development. Yeah, he believes it's infrastructure. I think it's overall development and these 10 years are full of challenges and conspiracies. Indeed, we'll uh, dive into more challenges later on in the show. But now, Mr. McDoom defines it as a basically as a project of development, and Tom would call it basically a infrastructure project. Is that yes, accurate? All right. Yeah. Then, Professor Dai, how would you define it as someone who's from the initiator of this uh, project? You know, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative was a Chinese uh, proposal. And it has uh, uh, gradually become an international consensus and also global actions. So if you ask me to define the BRI initiative, I would like to say it's an initiative for common prosperity and uh, common development. Mm. Because uh, BRI upholds the principle of uh, peace and cooperation, openness and inclusiveness, and mutual learning and mutual benefits. Actually, these 16 keywords are the summarizes of the Chinese uh, traditional culture and uh, philosophy, which was summarized by Chinese President Xi Jinping during the first uh, VRI International Cooperation Forum. That is uh, called uh, VRI, uh, or Silk Road Spirit. So far, we have made uh, enormous uh, achievements uh, for the past uh, 10 years. So not from the conceptual ideas, but also for programmatic uh, cooperation, we mm-hmm. can see Many BRI projects uh, has been successfully implemented, uh, uh, not only in Asia, but also in African continent. So we can cite good examples of this uh, CPEC and uh, this uh, China-Laos railway, and also the high-speed train from Jakarta to Bandawan, mm. and also the Mombasa to Nairobi. And also CPEC for Pakistan. We have a Pakistan uh, speaker here, and you are experiencing this uh, fruitful cooperation results uh, in the past uh, 10 years. Indeed, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, which is a very, I I should say, signature project of this initiative, right? Yeah, uh, our Chinese friends who who are engaged with this, they call it the flagship project and uh, one of the most vibrant economic corridors out of the six. And it has already started. In Pakistan, there were some uh, misconceptions. Again, there were some political uh, narratives being uh, attached to this CPAC in the beginning, but now even those who were critical of certain projects all over our CPAC, now they have also realized that this is a prosperity and development oriented mega initiative. So now, and then they said like uh, more than 200,000 jobs it has created for youngsters in Pakistan. Only one project on the railway that is set to create another 150,000 jobs. Development projects have already created uh, electricity uh, surplus. Mm. and uh, Can you give us a rough idea? What's the level of uh, 200,000 plus uh, 150,000 um, job opportunities? Is it a big number? Or? Well, of course, it is a very big number, particularly after, you know, you see after the COVID when a lot of layoffs were made by private sector and many people went jobless, 250,000 or 350 to five. Half a million jobs, half mm. a billion jobs for any country is a big, uh, big thing. Right. And for Pakistan, that is the fifth uh, largest populated country. It's still not that much, but again, and under the circumstances, this is a really very big effort. Uh, and it is set to create more jobs. It's just uh, 10 years. In coming years, the second phase is on and the third phase 
there will be more job opportunities and more other projects. We have a major push uh, in the energy sector and the country that was suffering from uh, load shedding and lack of uh, electricity under the CPAC. Most of the funding has gone to the energy sector and now second biggest we are expecting is the agriculture sector now. Pakistan has had to choose between industrialization and improving agriculture, mm. which should be first from CPAC or BRI. And I think currently there is a thought prevailing that uh, we should, uh, it will take 15 to 20 years or to industrialize the country, mm. but it will take one year to bring revolution in agriculture. And agriculture, we have learned a lot from China. I have always been saying if you have to be part of BRI, you have to be a sincere partner with intentions to learn from your senior partner. Only if you want to join it as a game spoiler, then you do not learn. And then you do, if you do not uh, implement the experiments you get, uh, you cannot benefit. In COVID, Pakistan was very close in following the SOPs from China. And that is why Pakistan and China control rate remained the same. And both countries were in the top five countries to handle the COVID. So I think that if you closely follow your friends, your neighbors, your partners, then BRI, CPAC, whatever project is, will benefit you extraordinarily. You said uh, Pakistan can learn a lot from China. I think it's the same with uh, China. It's a mutual learning process, right? Tom, for you, which project of the BRI impressed you most? Well, I mean, there's been a lot of projects, but I think China's focus on railroads was a key factor. Like, for example, he was talking about the African uh, railroads. And I think actually when, when I kind of think about it, the, for example, the railroads that are connecting China with Europe, and uh, I've, I've, I've written some articles on it, and I've actually done some stories on it, and I actually think that's quite amazing because you have long distances, mm -hmm. and you're, you're, you're transporting the goods from China all the way to as far as Spain through the railroad. So basically what I see as, as BRI as that sort of uh, as a builder, the Chinese are very good at building things. So by building it, and also that's what made China's economy so great. So I've also had to write a book about Shenzhen, so I'm a little bit familiar with your city. And one of the things I've learned was it started from a basically just poor farming village. And then what they did was, because it was next to the coast, they were able to make all these factories, and then they were able to create this big post uh, port, and they had <coughs> close access to Hong Kong. So the logistics that's happening through BRI is what, to me, is the real success story of the BRI. Let me just continue your topic about the Shenzhen, okay, because yeah. I'm from the emerging new yes. city with right. only uh, more than 40 years history. Sure. Right. And so I'm also from a new emerging new university, right. just the 40 years anniversary of its birthday. So we are starting doing some research on these BRI successful factors for the past 10 years. To my understanding, I think that the primary reasons are three points. The first one, Chinese government has stick to the principle of the common prosperity and peaceful cooperation. And we have upheld the principle of mutual respect and real multilateralism. For example, you talk about the railway constructions. I would like to cite the example of the port city in Sri Lanka, Kalumpur port city, which was also a flagship project under BRI. It was uh, when President Xi Jinping visited Sri Lanka in 2014, he just laid the ground for this uh, uh, flag project. And after eight years of uh, 
construction. It has been uh, very successful for the first uh, phase. So I just went back uh, just last week, and now it has entered the second phase of its implementation of business invitation start uh, commercial or business operation now, because according to the long-term plan of this uh, Colombo port city, it will become one of the good example of modernization for the old city, just the brand new city, a port city. It's a CBD center, and uh, it has started the core reef education facilities because in order to educate people to respect this ESG, ecology, protection and social responsibility mm. and governance, the project office uh, working together with Sri Lanka government uh, to start this ESG in this project in order to get a good example. Uh, I also appreciate uh, uh, Mr. Baba's uh, idea that uh, we need a sincere partner to work together Indeed. for this uh, BRI implementation. Because uh, if whatever China tries uh, hard, but if there is don't any cooperation from the reception and is all hosting countries, we may face some difficulties. Mm. For example, uh, some unstable or political situation or some just uh, negative media coverage of this uh, project. So what I mean is that we should, based on this uh, information, not only from China, but also from the local media and from the Western media. So let's work together for a scientific and objective and also rational idea about the BRI. It's not something what uh, one media uh, describes. We also need to understand a balanced so that you can have a scientific conclusion of BRI's achievements or the so-called date trap, which we are going to talk mm. later on. Right. Uh, the cooperative uh, spirit is what needed most. And uh, people always uh, refer to some uh, infrastructure projects of the initiative as some major accomplishments, right? But I can share with you some stories of uh, health cooperation, indeed, of uh, Mr. McDermott, I've already mentioned the COVID cooperation. And I, um, when I was based in um, Myanmar, there was this health cooperation in eye surgeries. Chinese doctors and uh, nurses helping people carrying out uh, cataract surgeries free of charge. And uh, also with uh, congenital cardiac surgeries. And in uh, Myanmar, in the Laos, such kind of projects are also underway. So it's not just limited to infrastructure. You're listening to the Chat Lounge. When we come back, we'll have more discussion on the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Welcome back. You're listening to the Chat Lounge. Our topic today is the Belt and Road Initiative, 10 years on. Uh, since Professor Dai mentioned the project in Sri Lanka, we've seen basically since 2016, there are a lot of, um, I should say, accusations, right, of China creating such debt traps in those countries. So, um, Tom, sure. what's your evaluation? No, I mean, that's these are very important issues to address, and this is the major challenge mm -hmm. that BRI has. The Chinese are great builders, but uh, the communication is not as 
strong as their building skills. All right. So what I'm getting at is that um, I think oftentimes um, I've been in China since 2010. And a lot of times they'll have good ideas and wonderful ideas, but uh, their ability to communicate and get others to cooperate on those ideas uh, has been a challenge at times. All right. Okay. So what's going on is how to deal with this situation. Normally, let's say, for example, when I'm dealing with teams or I'm, I'm trying to encourage teams to work together, I always tell people, do what you're strong at. Nobody is Superman. Nobody is perfect. Nobody can do everything. So what I'm getting at, focus on what you're strong at. What is China strong at? Infrastructure. Now, obviously, if people are not being cooperative, there is a major issue because you have a lot of financing. And if it gets canceled, you're going to lose a lot of money. So how do you handle it? Perhaps maybe work with some of your cooperative partners who are better at handling these type of situation. Maybe it's not China. Maybe it's somebody else. So you develop third-party platforms to create this better type of cooperation. The reason they're so good at building is because they can make a schedule, they make it happen, they hit the deadlines, fantastic, let's move on. Mm. However, in politics, politics is not the same as infrastructure building. Mm. And this is what China needs to learn. And so they're going to have to work with other partners and to get advice. I think if they develop closer relations with Europe, this could be a way from them to improve their cooperation skills. Mm. Because if anything, at least the Europeans are good at diplomacy. Mr. McDoom, what's behind those uh, narratives of uh, debt traps? There are many interesting things about it. Because Sri Lanka and Pakistan are most of the time criticized for lending into China's debt trap. Last year, I wrote a report for a Western media organization. And while digging out the stats for that report, we discovered that Pakistan's loans from China are overall just 23% of the global loans that we are getting. And the Chinese markup is the lowest on those loans. Secondly, there is another confusion. One is commercial loan and one is non-commercial loans. Non-commercial loans are mostly used for development projects. Commercial loans go through banks like Bank of China or Agriculture Bank of China, POC, whatever. There is always an international standard of uh, markup on the commercial loan. Mm. So that's for whole world, it is the same. A similar theories were made for Sri Lanka, that Sri Lanka has been economically taken over or taken into that trap by China. And most of the criticism was coming from Indian media and Western media. I had the opportunity to interview a former senior general of Sri Lanka who was engaged at Hamantotapaut and these things. Mm. I asked him, why, what is the story why uh, Chinese companies are getting most of the... Mm. What are their answers? Yeah, and he said, well, first of all, you can examine yourself how much stakes Chinese companies have. Second thing, he told me that we did an experiment. At that time, he said that four years ago, we created two projects of same volume, same nature. Mm. Like I think it was some 10-story building. We gave one piece of land for that project to an Indian company and one to a Chinese company. And after one year, when we inspected, Chinese company had built the seventh floor while Indian was still at the first floor and two basements, I think. Mm. So he said this is the speed, the work technology, the infrastructure development technology that Chinese are having that is inspiring people to give projects to them. It's not that uh, they are making some trap. If any other country can become better speed than the Chinese companies, construction work particularly they are doing, we'll give it to them. So this is the basic uh, 
story behind why Indian companies were criticizing because they wanted most of the project at Hamantota and other parts of Sri Lanka. They could not get because of being slow in speed. Maybe quality they are having equal quality, but quality with speed is one plus one. Mm. So death trap stories are just baseless propagation and uh, all loans are very, very, although China needs to make more clarity about these and mm -hmm. it's up to the governments who are receiving these loans, who are seeking these loans, they should also make it more transparent and should let uh, their people, their media know about the details, but all the details sometimes cannot be disclosed, but it does not mean that there is something fishy if it cannot be disclosed. Right, uh, Professor Dai, what's your uh, take? Is it because we lack some uh, communication professionals uh, who are good at uh, communicating our ideas to BRI partner countries, or is it because of enviousness? I agree with what you said, that China is well experienced uh, in doing this uh, physical infrastructure. But at the same time, we lack some experience uh, in doing this soft power building. But that's not uh, the full story of the whole picture. Mm. I think that uh, the so-called data trap or negative impacts of BRI is what the Western media uh, covered. Because uh, I, here, I would like to stress the importance of the basic professional principle of journalism or medium, they should be fair and uh, objective and to tell the truth, not the fake news. For example, and in the case of Sri Lanka, Chinese state only accounts uh, less than 10% of its global. So, so I would like to say the Western media usually overemphasized the negative side of BRI, but the fully ignored the achievements and the contributions that Chinese did to the coasting countries. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the, the reason why we stress the importance of the international communication or area or tactile communication now, and even for the enterprise communication, what you did should be broadcasted uh, based on this uh, fair principle of uh, being a journalist or objective media. Tom's got something yeah, to say. Yeah, Tom got now, you just say. remember, what I have to do a lot of times as a geopolitical analyst is I have to understand both sides. Because in order to understand both sides, what I'm expected to do is I'm expected to make a prediction. So when I make a forecast, I have to understand how, it's sort of like when you're, see, I come from America. So we have a sports culture in America. We love teams. I'm from Dallas. So anybody from Houston and their teams, they're terrible people. Not because they're bad people, but because their teams are not my team. So it's not personal when it looks personal. And I used to make this joke in politics, even in America, when I was dealing with politicians and like, oh, that those attacks you did against me, they were so hard hitting. I, I'm like, it's not personal. I'm like, what are you talking about? You just said all these terrible things about me, Tom. I said, it's still not personal. You're a member of the other team. It's that case. I have to support my team. So the media is basically not real. I mean, this idea that the they, media... They, they claim they're objective. Yeah, the media is not objective. Let's be honest. Nobody, no media is objective, and if they are, they're not being honest. They're a member of whoever team they are, and they're the spokespeople for that team. That's basically what it is, and I just want the, the Chinese to understand that this is really not personal. It's just a case that the Americans want to be number one, and they know China's number two, and they're just doing what they can to stay number one. Maybe it's yeah. not a personal idea. Yeah. It's a politician's attitude towards a country. Well, yeah, I understand. So, but, it, it, but what I'm getting at is, is that being overly sensitive to the criticism only looks for, for our side, for what I grew up in, when you're sensitive to criticism, that shows weakness. 
But the, yeah. according to Chinese uh, uh, principle, that uh, facts tell the truth. Well, <laughs> um, and, let, speak and, let, louder. and let the Chinese media tell the story. <laughs> and if the people believe it, they'll believe it. Let the Chinese media tell the China story. I think uh, Chinese media has really picked up for the last uh, few years and they have become more vibrant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there were 20 years sure. back, I came to this building. Yeah. At that time, these things, sure. uh, this technology, that was uh, just a dream. And now the way Chinese uh, media organizations, they have best quality equipment, they have best uh, quality journalists, broadcasters, but still uh, they lack somewhere to push their narrative mm -hmm. more effectively around the world. I think as the quality of uh, CDTN programs are no less than uh, CNN or BBC, but still their voice is not uh, that louder that they have, mm -hmm. and they need to. I saw a change when President Xi Jinping took over as president. Media started uh, becoming more vibrant and uh, more true, accurate, bold, whatever we call it in our organization. But uh, <clears throat> there is uh, definitely a uh, lot of room Indeed. to make more Indeed. effective yeah. with quality journalists, with quality equipment, with a lot of uh, over a billion audience. They now should make a major march in taking their narrative to the world. And to Tom, I, Tom was saying that uh, he's always outsider. I want to clarify that at the same time he's an American and Americans are never an outsider in any country. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so actually, I, I agree with you suggesting that we need to do more in the global cooperation in communication. Sure. Just yeah. to have this localization of international communication. This is what I'm going to do. My team is going to do in hmm. Sri Lanka. So we're, we're working towards the, the, this localization of uh, communication. Mm. So let uh, the local people tell the story, sure. uh, as well, well as the Chinese uh, people telling the story. I'm glad you mentioned that, because the localization is so important. If you're going to do a major infrastructure project, the locals need to support it. And it, it really requires that communication that you're talking about. Mm. So I like that idea. Sure. Thanks for the tips, gentlemen. Mm. Yes, yes I, I understand we got a lot to improve in this uh, respect. Mm. Um, ben, what other challenges do we have here, Mr. McDoom? Yes, there are also many other challenges that BRI has been facing in the last 10 years and is likely to continue facing coming few years as well. And one of them is security issues. We see that BRI has the sixth economic corridor and the CPAC is the most vibrant one. But still, because of security concerns, because a lot of conspiracies from outside Pakistan and those who are against Pakistan-China friendship for decades from right from the beginning, not only after we are, they are constantly creating security challenges, mm. arming and financing terrorism into Pakistan using one country's soil or the other countries. Security is one of area where BRI countries need to develop a common mechanism, a joint counter-terror strategy, though we have RATS and SCO. Uh, regional anti-terrorism structure, but uh, for BRI, we also need to have uh, some a closer cooperation and we should make some regional bodies to counter these challenges. And the other, of course, is education. We need to exp spread the educational networks at the grassroots level so more people, when they get educated in countries like Pakistan and mm. these, then they will be more able to contribute to the cause of BRI and to get benefit from. They are less educated. They will just uh, continue to what they are told to follow. Mm. Tom? Foreign exchange. 
being able to switch the money from country to country. Mm. Uh, China has very strict uh, foreign controls on its currency. And a lot of people are telling me that I talk to are saying that that is a major concern they have of doing business in China, as well as when you're developing these projects that are cross-border. Is the foreign currency controls are very restrictive. And if there's some way for China to open that up, I think that would be much better for all sides. Mm, financial reforms and Professor Dai. If we understand the BRI for its uh, successful factors, I would like to summarize uh, three points. First one is the capital resources. Second is the technology advancement. And the third one is the management experience. But based on these three successful factors, we need something more to the next 10 years of BRI, which is something like uh, Tom. You, you said about this global communication, uh, to, and also, Barbara, you mentioned this uh, education. Of course, uh, in order to improve these qualities of BRI projects, Chinese government now is uh, attaching great importance uh, to the ESG concept, which is environment, uh, social responsibility, and governance. Of course, uh, China is well experienced in providing this concept of ESG. As Chinese president uh, proposed uh, four initiatives, the first one is BRI in 2013, September and October, during his visit to Kazakhstan and Indonesia. And uh, the second one is the Global Development Initiative. And the third one is uh, Global Security Initiative. And the latest one is Global Civilization Initiative. These three initiatives, uh, of course, the first one is the overall uh, agenda for the, the human being. We try to build a common community of shared future for mankind. Mm. And then the other three is part of the BRI, I think, because uh, in order to protect this uh, planet, we should work more under the concept of ESG. Uh, the greatest concern in different countries are different. Maybe some countries that don't have a stable political situation, and another country maybe they have, don't have a stable economic situation, mm. for example, in Sri Lanka or some, some other African countries. But in some other developed countries, they have stable political situation and economic stability. Uh, how to educate the common people mm. to understand the, the Western media reasonably mm. and rationally. I'd like to address the ESG issue. I, I yeah. know it's a wonderful thing, but unfortunately, uh, ESG in Europe is different than ESG in Africa. So what I'm trying to get at is the reason Europe and the United States can have high standards for ESG is because they are already developed. Whereas if you go to Africa and you tell them, oh, you can't have coal, but you have to do a windmills or something, uh, it's possible that uh, the coal will be more reliable energy source in Africa. But then the ESG people will say, oh, it's polluting. We can't have it. So what I'm getting at is the concerns I have with ESG is that a lot of countries that are in the developing stage cannot have the same quality of yes. ESG that you'd see in the U.S. and Europe, and that is okay. Yes. I'm a little bit reluctant to too much emphasize ESG. Instead, say, just focus more on what you say, development. Mm -hmm. I like that word. But ESG, and maybe it's because I'm a Republican or whatever, but I, I just find it as a little bit scary. But I like the, I like the word development. Maybe it's just find the balance. Point. Yeah. Yes. You yeah. can respond to what I said. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree okay. with your uh, suggestion is yeah. that uh, the ESG uh, means differently sure. in different uh, countries uh, based on their economic uh, development uh, phases. Mm -hmm. 
So um, Chinese technology and Chinese management uh, can be very suitable for developing countries. Maybe it's not suitable for the developed countries. Sure. So uh, maybe but American, yeah, American-led uh, Western yeah. countries proposed the the three or B three W. Yeah, yeah, build yeah. back a better the world. What, it will what, not what, happen. Yeah, it will <laughs> it not will happen. happen. Definitely, because the ESG standards are so high, it's impossible to implement those. ESG so standards. that is yeah. not what yeah. the developing countries can achieve. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. ask our guest from Pakistan. Okay. Is it possible to achieve it? Everything is possible to achieve. As I said, if you have to make efforts with sincerity. Right. You, you need a basic uh, sincerity. And in all these issues, I have always been saying the West approach uh, towards China or this Asia at, at the moment in China can come positive if they realize one thing, that socialist democracy is equally effective and similar sort of the Westminster democracy, and every society needs their own democracy mm. style. You cannot impose your version of democracy on other democracies. They need to know that, yes, socialist democracy is also a democracy. And that is why China has made so much development that the people of China, they are very much satisfied with the governance system they are having. Uh, oppressed or suppressed or depressed nation cannot make these achievements that China has made in last couple of decades particularly. So once this realization comes, a lot of negative things will be driven away that we don't have to impose our version of democracy. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Let's move on to the future or um, the outlook of this initiative. Like you just mentioned, this initiative or the projects involved in the initiative are expected to move towards a greener and more sustainable direction. And uh, Wu Peng, he is the director of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs African Department. He said the BRI is moving towards small but beautiful projects. So... What's your interpretation of such a definition, small and beautiful? I think what he meant to say was the smart projects. They are moving to the short, sweet and smart projects. And smart is the concept that I've already been discussing with the uh, uh, Chinese uh, friends mm. in the ministries, that uh, smart media centers should also come into power. We, we had our friends, Americans, they have been running the American centers all over the world and with a lot of success today, the CNN or BBC or CNN or New York Times are having that uh, much uh, sound around the world. It's because it took years for U.S. government to establish this, their narratives through American centers and media came later. And today, with this technology, with everything, the smart media centers should also come up. And this uh, BRI smart projects, you, we have long duration project, we have short duration project, we have medium duration project. So immediate work on the short, shortest duration projects is to be called smart projects. So people should get the idea of uh, the benefits or development out of the BRI projects in the shortest possible time to get encouraged for the long duration projects, to praise for them. And in my opinion, at the same time now, it's BRI has 10 years on its credit. It's time for BRI to engage member states in closer community contacts we should have more exchange in the sports, 
of the members countries we should we can go to you know BRI Olympics sort of thing and uh, we can have uh, cultural exchanges we can make joint productions in uh, entertainment program in informative program we can have a uh, joint health uh, mechanisms for for these members so to engage more segments of society we should uh, focus on making more platforms of the BRI centuries so countries can keep in we can divide them into different regions but regions can be comprising 10 countries or 15 countries and then they can have interregional uh, interactions at uh, different sectors mm. but if it's a short term uh, project would uh, china be accused of being short sighted or ignoring long term uh, benefits by the outsiders um, why why put money into a project and not expect benefits in return mm. so you know I, i think this idea and i've been trying to alert china don't make it sound like a charity project because then it's going to be easy for others to attack once that that happens and then there's business problem just throw that out the window you don't even say it's a charity project so you know the thing is is to do these projects and you're going to put money into something you're going to expect some type of return it really is that simple so these future projects that they're developing when they're smart they're going to re- have a return on investment if they're failures they're not going to be completed or the local uh, communities will push it out so china also needs cooperation with the local communities because obviously if they don't support it the project's not going to succeed i think i have not right. been able to explain the concept of a small duration project it's not that you should make some small those projects who have actual estimated time that is smartest shortest than the other projects mm. like if you have a solar energy park a small solar energy park it is on your project and you have a big few acres few squares uh, solar energy setup so first complete that smaller one so that people locals should get encouraged then i'm not asking that do not go for big projects but i'm saying if there are smaller projects of same nature then first execute those smaller projects it will also give you an idea of their success at the large scale level or failure at the large scale you can mm. save money if it's a failure and you can get encouraged if this is it is it's a hit so for a small duration project same project with a smaller duration of establishing mm. not for smaller duration uh, to my understanding i think uh, whether they are big or amazing projects or small or beautiful projects these two ideas are not contradictory to each other actually they are complementary supplementary to each other because uh, even if it is a big project it is comprised of uh, a series of uh, mm. uh, smaller projects uh, what i mean is that uh, the basic uh, principle of uh, implementing this big or small project is uh, your courage and uh, your contribution or your professional skills and your sincere attitudes towards the hosting countries whether you treat uh, the countries big or small fairly enough or whether you are going to place any additional or political conditions in in that for example the mcc american initiated now i still talk about the, the mcc first it was initiated in african continent but most of the african continent rejected it now you moved it to sri lanka and to nepal and after a serious discussion about its consequences of mcc in sri lanka sri lanka government definitely refused it saying that because there is a article in the mcc agreement that is article 20 
the U.S. constitution or law is above these uh, hosting countries. Mm. And when it turns to Nepal, Nepal, uh, they have different parties. Finally, they agreed on that, but with uh, uh, nine points of statement saying that unless U.S. government elaborate this clause, then the, the Lebanese government can implement this MCC. So what I mean, whether it is big or small, I think uh, we should do it professionally and objectively and uh, do as business do. Sometimes we think too much politics is very bad for the implementation. But some people are concerned that, that may mean the Chinese government may reduce significantly its investments in those countries. Mr. McDoom, do you share that kind of concern? I think uh, BRI is something that uh, has no such project has got with that much rumors and propagations against it in last, uh, I think, at least I can say in the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. So uh, these concerns and based on the rumors and sometimes based on the negative propagation and sometimes based on the positive propagation uh, will continue to come. But uh, we have to say one thing that if you really want to gauge the concept of BRI, you should take a careful study of the statistics so far and the statistics said to come in future. And then you can gauge how much, how, what is the percentage of the stats set for the first 10 years, how much has been increased. So you can imagine that how in next 10 years, how much percentage would be created. And similarly, propagations, if you go, then you can also see what was the level of uh, anti-CPEC propaganda through media and intelligence agencies 10 years back and where it is today and where it can be in the coming 10 years. People are getting more aware by the media, social media, that China has uh, jumped into. I can see young Chinese uh, netizens, they are doing it and now journalists have also joined and wonderful social media platforms. I can see them debating with their opponents from West or from India, from anywhere and in coming years, it will, this war, which we call in Pakistan the fifth generation war, it will also be one in favor of BRI. Mm, that's uh, some change that uh, we are experiencing right now with uh, BRI projects um, being carried out. Then what other changes do you expect in the years to come when we move towards new directions, greener and more sustainable direction, Professor Dai? For the next 10 years or next 20 years of mm -hmm. BRI programmatic cooperation with the partners, I think these greener or more sustainable and goals are more emphasized by the partners, not only by China, but also by the partners in the world. As I mentioned, this ESG concept will well, I, so far as I know, in some South Asia countries, for example, in Sri Lanka or in Nepal or even Pakistan, because the green and sustainable concepts are what the BRI stressed most from the very beginning of joint consultation, joint construction and joint benefits to the more sustainable and green Silk Road mm. and our green BRI and healthy BRI and now we have the sustainable BRI. I think that uh, direction firmly will be held by Chinese government mm. and its uh, contributors or constructors. Do you expect more private companies may taking part in this initiative? You know, uh, sure. we've been facing some uh, doubts over 
large state-owned enterprises investments in those countries. Yes. Uh, in the case of Shenzhen, you know, Shenzhen is a city with the dominating private-owned companies, and they are very actively uh, trying hard to engage some uh, BRI projects abroad. Because, uh, as I, the, the Wu Peng said, the small and beautiful projects maybe is one of the top priorities areas, especially for the smart city management and the smart port cities, because Shenzhen is well experienced in port construction circle mm. and Qianhai. So and, uh, Shenzhen is the first Chinese uh, special economic zone, which has uh, set a good example for the global, uh, for the international community. That is called Chinese experience and global governance. Well, actually, in regards to the financial enterprises, it's already assumed that many Chinese companies are involved, but we need to get more global corporations involved. Mm. So, for example, I'm from Texas, so we're an oil and gas state. Our biggest company is Exxon. How did Exxon succeed? Not by itself, mm. by its private partnerships with many other countries, uh, company, private companies, when they did overseas development and exploration of oil and gas in other countries. So what I'm getting at is the, the, China, the BRI, in order for it to succeed, needs the support of local companies to get more involved. Do you see any adjustment uh, taking place with the Chinese side? People are telling me from the Chinese side that they're trying to work on that and that uh, they're trying to make some progress on it. And I think that uh, it's a work in progress, but uh, I do see that this is the direction they're taking. They're going towards more localization. Uh, Tom, I fully agree with your uh, idea. Uh, China is ready to cooperate with uh, U.S. or international uh, companies, uh, but uh, I d I'm not sure whether American companies or American government are ready to cooperate with China. That's a good question. You don't why, give us opportunities. Well, that's why I use the Exxon example. I'm not using the so, Washington example. So, yeah. and, and also, I'm not defending, like, for example, what you described on the MCC. I totally, if, if I was in Washington, if I, I wouldn't have pushed for something for that. That's too extreme. Obviously, uh, just because I'm American doesn't mean I support these ideas. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. What I'm trying to get across is I'm more of a geopolitical analyst where I'm trying to understand the balance. So, Mr. McDoom, what do you expect to come up when, in terms of uh, further changes to this world? I expect more weather balloons to be identified by the American agencies and more chips in Huawei. You're, you're yeah. saying more containment. Yeah. Yeah. So, I would say that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Otherwise, everything would be fine. Yes. If we can counter this, uh, count, uh, this weather balloon and chip uh, conspiracies, sure. then we can make good progress and development on these projects. Mm. Then how do you, do you expect this uh, initiative to further reshape the, this world? We've seen already the, uh, the landscape of uh, global geopolitics have already changed uh, over the past 10 years. So looking ahead. Of course it is going to uh, reshape. Once it will reshape the economies, it will automatically be reshaping Overall, uh, infrastructure development is taking place and uh, economic development is taking place. And with the stability that the professor was saying, that uh, political instabilities, economic instabilities, these are all because of the backwardness and the, the low level of economies. Once uh, I haven't seen country with good, wonderful economic stability, but political instabilities. Economic stability brings all stabilities, and this BRI is set to bring economic stabilities, and political stabilities will automatically come in. Tom? Well, I mean, the, the future of BRI, uh, I think sometimes China puts too much emphasis on the USA. Just let it go. Focus on... Can we? 
Well, I, you know, I've been in this for a long time, and it's uh, a never-ending battle. But what the thing is, is it's what I try to say is focus on your strengths, focus on what you have some control over. You have no control over the U.S. The U.S. wants to control China. You're not going to let that happen either. So just try to focus on the BRI as itself, as in, in the companies that the countries that are involved, make them more connected, make them more involved. And so the sort of BRI block that you're sort of mentioning, I think it's going to move in that direction. I think uh, this human principle is very simple. Mm. Work for the human being, contribute to the human being. Don't work for selfish interests of we should uphold the principle of the shared future for mankind. That is my understanding of let's have a real or truthful uh, multilateralism. We don't stay alone in, in this planet. We should work together for the benefits of the human beings, not for one individual country or one individual tribe or <laughs> ethnic groups. So Mr. McDoom, uh, call me naive. Uh, you just um, described some uh, scene where it's hard for, for the U.S. to cooperate, maybe more suppression on China when this initiative uh, is carried out. But I would like to hope for such a day when China can collaborate with the U.S. and its allies in you know, carrying out um, development projects together in those countries. But uh, yeah, I think uh, there are many areas apart from BRI where the U.S. and its allies can cooperate with China, like we have just uh, discussed, the greener world projects, the environment projects. But the thing is this, that the only problem for China is that the Chinese leaders practically do what they say. And American or other Western governments, mostly they make big claims, they bring out initiatives, but they do not go to materialize. We can see uh, many projects of uh, international level that need Western leaders' immediate implementation, what they make at Copenhagen summit or at the Paris Club summit. They make big claims, but they do not. But the, the, the big problem for China is that, that they start initiating those projects, and that uh, is not liked by many political rivals in the West. Well, let's hope, you know, such a scenario can occur someday in the future. Yeah, Obviously, it's a long way to <laughs> yeah. go and uh, quite a difficult journey in the years to come. So with that, we wrap up today's chat. Many thanks to Makdoom Babar, President and Editor-in-Chief of Pakistan Daily Mail, Professor Dayun Hong, Dean of College of International Studies and Institute of Area and International Communication, Shenzhen University, and Thomas Paukin II, Beijing-based geopolitical consultant and media commentator on Asia-Pacific issues. The show is available on all major podcast platforms. If you have anything to say about the topic or the show, please email us at radio at cgtn.com. I'm Tuyun. Thank you for being with us. We'll have more chat next week.